0: Our scripture reading today is Ephesians 2.11 through 4.16. That's 11.60 in the Black Pew Bible, 1,160. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all thing, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love.
1: Ephesians chapter 2, talking about the church, the who, the how, and the why. One of the difficulties of human communication is that sometimes the same word conveys different meanings to different people. For example, when I say the word summer to our children, to students, this word stimulates associations that are very positive. They think of no school, sleeping in, going swimming, going on vacation. Going to camp. But for some, the one who lays asphalt, the one who is a roofer, summer has a different meaning. What kryptonite is to Superman, heat is to a, a construction worker. It means having to get up earlier work a while, take a break from the heat, go back to work and work until dark. Summer, for some, means misery, long hours, busyness. For some, it means seeing less of our families. Sweat. Difficulty. Just as the word summer means different things to different people, the word church has all kinds of associations to various people. Most people would associate this term with Sunday, stained glass, sermons. Here at Beaver, our vision is to become a a biblical church for His glory. Another word for biblical is healthy. See, healthy things grow. They mature, they develop. If a child is not developing, is not growing, that usually indicates something is wrong. But if the church is growing numerically, growing spiritually, God will be glorified. But in order for a church to be biblical, we have to know what the Bible says about the church. What is the church? Or, or better yet, who is the church? The term in the original language, ecclesia, means assembly or the called out ones, or maybe better translated, the called together ones. In the Greek New Testament, the that noun, ekklesia occurs 115 times. It's translated church 112, and three times it's translated assembly. And the New Testament writers, they refer to the church using different metaphors, different word pictures. We see several of those here in Ephesians chapter 2. And what we're doing today is kind of taking a bird's-eye view of this text, thinking about the church In chapter 2, verse 16, the church is corporately referred to as the body of Christ. Sometimes you see the church is the body and Christ is the head, right? The church is also referred to as God's household in chapter 2, verse 19. Verse 21 in the same chapter, the church is referred to as a holy temple. Verse 22, a dwelling place for God's, the Spirit. And fifthly, the church is referred to, chapter 3, verse 10, as the church, the assembled ones, the called out ones who assemble together. Elsewhere, outside the book of Ephesians, we see the church called different things, sons and daughters of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 18. The church is also called the salt and light of the world. Matthew chapter 5. Her, The church's intimate and dependent relationship to the Lord is like a vine and its branches. John 15. In her relationship to the world, the church is referred to as the pillar and ground of truth. 1 Peter 3. 15. 1 Corinthians 3, holy temple in which God dwells. And in her service before God and church's relationship to Him as God's people, the church is referred to as a holy nation, a royal priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2. The church isn't a building, we know that. It is the people of God. So the question is, what is the church? Maybe it's better to ask, who is the church? And It's not just any people that make up the church, but those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, right? Those who have been one, born again. Those who have been redeemed. And here in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to this church. He started on his third missionary journey. And in chapters 1 through 3, what what's happening is Paul is reminding them what God has done for them. And then chapters four through six is how we should respond as the church. But chapter two, Paul reminds the Ephesians that they are saved by grace through faith, not because of anything they've done. But notice he's talking here in this book to Gentile believers, telling them that they are now a part of this one new man. Look at verse 13 through 15 of chapter 2. But now in Christ, you who are once far off, you're away from the Lord, you didn't have the law, right? They didn't know much about God. You've now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man and place the two, so making peace. So the plan all along, if you think about the, the story of redemptive, redemptive history, is to have one people of God. And we've seen in, in the book of Exodus, God is dealing with his people and redeeming his people, the, the Israelites. He redeems and rescues them from Egypt, goes to war for them against the Amalekites, And as they get into the promised land, he'll war again for them against the the pagan Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all the Ites that oppose them. But the plan all along was the people of God to be made up not of just Jew, but of Gentile as well. That's the Abrahamic covenant, right? Coming to fulfillment. You remember the story, the promises God gave to Abraham? He said he would become a great nation made up of many, many people like the stars in the sky, but through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. So in the book of Ephesians, the Gentiles have heard the gospel through the preaching of Paul and his disciples. They have repented and they've trusted Christ's work on the cross as their own. Now those who are far off, Have been brought near. You think about far off. We think about that sometimes. Maybe I'll ask you about people that you work with, and are there any Christians you work with? And you're like, well, there's one guy who's a believer, I think, and he we talk about the things of the Lord and what we've learned at church and what God's doing in our lives. But you know, there's several people, you know, man, they're far from God. What do you mean by that? Well, they don't have any clue. They didn't grow up in a Christian home, grew up in a pagan environment. Their parents weren't believers. They'd never been to church. they have never been exposed to the gospel. They are far from God. But you might have some people who, they grow up in church. They know a lot about the Bible, but they're not born again. They've yet to repent and trust Christ. And so they live a, even though they have a knowledge of God, right, they live a pagan lifestyle. They live like a lost person, but yet they have a lot of knowledge about God. So sometimes we, we talk about that. They're far from God or someone that, that seems like maybe you've been able to share the gospel with several times, many times, and, and it seems like there's conviction of sin, you think, man, they're just, I think they're, they're close. They're not far from God, right? So we can understand that terminology. But the Gentiles were far from God. They didn't have the law. They weren't the people of God. They are opposed to God. Didn't have a knowledge of God, but yet, because of the preaching of the gospel... The grace of God they've been brought near they're now part of God's family look at verse 20 chapter 2 the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus being the cornerstone when it says Jesus is the cornerstone that's the same thing as saying Jesus is the head of the body right different word pictures we've got a building and a cornerstone we've got a head and a body same meaning different picture Jesus is the cornerstone Jesus is the head Yeah, he's the leader, what it's all about. The church is built upon the teachings of the apostles and the prophets, in which we call the Bible today, right? John Tweedale, in the book, Christology and the Doctrine of the Church, he says, the place to start in developing a doctrine of the church is not to ask, what does the body need? As important as that question is, we must first ask, what does the head want? We cannot address the needs of the body of Christ until we understand the desires of the head of the church. The church is Jesus' body on earth. He is the head of the church. Some say we have a decapitated ecclesiology. Ecclesiology just means the study of the church. Sometimes we try to build the church, but we leave out the desires of our Lord. What is Christ? What does he want our church to be? What does he say the church should be like, and what should the church do What should be the characteristics of the church? He is the cornerstone. He is the head. He decides. And that's what we, when God does his work in us, right? Breaks our heart, convicts us of sin. Brings about faith and repentance. That's what we're saying when we come to Christ. We say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I want to surrender you. I want to follow you. I want to please you. My life is yours, right? So what is Christ, what do you want for us as a church. Well, the church is the people of God with Christ as the head. And we have to go to the Scriptures time and time and time and time again to make sure that we're the church Christ wants us to be. So for us, we have to do church according to the Scriptures. What does Jesus desire for us? Our decisions at the church have to be based on Scripture. We have to be doing what Jesus, our head, and Cornerstone wants us to do. So the church is the people of God with Christ as the head. That's the, the who. All of us who've been born again, who've yielded to Christ, we're part of the church, right? Secondly, again, just a bird's-eye view. Well, let's look at look at um, chapter 3, verse 1 through 6 real quickly. Notice what it says here in these first few verses. Chase has read those for us. In verse 3, we see this mystery Verse 4, mystery. Verse 6, the mystery is that what? Mystery, mystery, mystery. What is this mystery? So three times in these few verses we see this. It tells us what used to be veiled or misunderstood, what used to be a mystery, has now been revealed. And what is that? Look at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Think about just the story of redemptive history in the, the, the New Testament church the first believers, Pentecost, and we talked about that students in in small group this morning, that, that was all Jews, right? They had the law, they understand who Yahweh was, who God was, and all the history of God redeeming his people and revealing himself through history to his chosen people, the Israelites. But this mystery that he talks about, this mystery, this mystery, what's the mystery? The mystery is that God wants to save People from every ethnic group and people group, and not just Jew but Gentile. And aren't you excited? Any Jews here? We have any messianic Jews in the house? We're all Gentiles, right? And that's the great mystery that the church, the body, the people of God are made up of Jew and Gentile. And we're a part of that. Once who we were far away, far from God, now we've been brought near, and we are too part of the people of God. God's special people. In the Old Covenant, that was the Jews the Israelites, descendants, physical descendants of Abraham. But now, because of what Christ has done, we are part of the people of God. We don't call it a nation. We don't call it the people on the new covenant. We call it the church. Yeah. So that's what we make up the church, all these people who've been born again, right? Second thing we see Chapter 3, chapter 3, 7 through 13 is the church is God's way of building his kingdom. This is how. How does God build his kingdom? Well, it's through the church. We do mission work. We go to unreached places. We do evangelism. We want to do what? We don't want to win souls. But what do we do? We want to start churches. Gina and I, my wife and I, we lived overseas for about a decade, and we... We lived there, and we worked there, and we loved those people, and we shared the gospel with all the people that we could. What was our goal? Well, your goal was to, to win lost people. Well, yeah, but ultimately, our goal is to start churches. When Paul, when he's on his missionary journeys in the Book of Acts, he went on three missionary journeys. What was his What was his desire there to see lost people saved? Yeah. But the book of Acts isn't about people being individual people being saved. No, the book of Acts is about churches being started, right? In every city, in every town, winning people to Jesus, grouping them together, right? So they can be a a local fellowship, a local church. Paul considered his ministry in, in an area fulfilled not when every person was reached, but when churches had been planted. He wants to go to a new place. Why? Because he started a church in Thessalonica, in Berea, and Lystra, and Derby. I'm going to go somewhere else. Start a church. Because see, what do local churches do? Local churches do evangelism and win the lost. So the church is God's plan. It's God's mission. It's how he builds his kingdom. Through churches and individuals are addressed in the New Testament. Any of them come to mind? Think about individuals being addressed. Think about the Ethiopian eunuch. It's one example, right? He's dealt with individually in this conversation with Philip. He's evangelized. He's baptized. But you take the New Testament as a whole. Can you imagine that Ethiopian eunuch going back to to Ethiopia and not being involved in a, a group of baptized believers? No. You think, no, he's going to meet with believers and he's going to congregate and do church together. Jesus didn't die to have a disconnected collection of individual people who are saved and going to heaven. Well, he he came to fashion a people who belong to himself, a bride, a body, a family, the church. Tim Chalice, he says... The local church is central to God's plan for the world. In fact, in many ways, the local church is God's plan for the world. It's through the church that God desires to make himself known. Look at chapter 3, verse 8 through 11. Again, these verses, we're taking a bird's eye view. And what do we learn about the church here? First, that the church is, they're the people of God with Christ as the head, right? Part of the church. No longer. The nation of Israel, now in the New Covenant, we the people of God, were the church. And the church, that's how God builds up his kingdom, is through the church. Look at verses 8 through 11 of chapter 3. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach... To the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light every, every for everyone what is the plan of this mystery hidden for the ages in, in God who created all things, so that through that what the church, the manifold wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was a, according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through a faith in Him. It's through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Yeah. It's not about individual people being saved, it's about the church. Read chapter 3 with me, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory where in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. God is doing, he's building up the kingdom. He's doing it through through the church. Thirdly, chapter 4, we see that the members of the body were individuals. We make up the body, but we're all interrelated. We're individuals, a part of one group this body, and we all interrelated. We're codependent upon one another. It's the why? Why do we do life together? Why do we meet together? Why are we here on Sunday morning? Why do we meet small groups Sunday morning, small groups Sunday night, Wednesday night? We do Bible study, fellowship time, prayer time. Why do we do all that together? We'll look at chapter 4, verse 1. Paul instructs the Ephesians, these believers there, to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. In other words, live like a believer. Believers are unified. We are individuals, but we live together, living life together, right? But just walking in a a manner worthy of the gospel, that's not something you do on your own. It's not something you do on your own. It's something you do as part of the church with other believers. We live as one body, even though we're individuals. Look at verses 7 through 16. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning's, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Even though we have different giftings, we're all a part of the same body and we use our gifts And as we do so, the whole body grows. We're interrelated, codependent. What is the church? Church is a community of all believers for all time. All those whom Christ died. That's part of the church. But we gather. It's not just Sunday morning worship. people involved in Sunday morning worship who are interrelated, living life together, each one using their gifts so the church can mature, giving glory to God. It's just not a one-time one week one, one time event or once-every-two-week event. That's not the church. It's not what we see in the New Testament. I mean, if we define the church as a, a Sunday morning gathering from time to time, and that's enough, then how can everyone use their gifts so the church can be built up? See, it's really, really important. We have these independent relationships where we live life together. And we, we say this a lot. It's like we're just locking arms, you know, hand in hand, arm in arm. We live life together. We spend time together. We rub elbows together. We encourage. We rebuke. We fellowship. We do life together. And as we do, we use our gifts. And the Scripture says we grow I don't think just a a random or from time to time meeting together, like-minded folks meeting together from time to time, I don't think that's what Christ had in mind when he died for sinners. We're to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. But that only occurs as we live life together as church so a couple things by way of application are you a part of the church the universal church are you a part you you were once far away but have you been brought near see the one thing we have in common we're all, we're all far away but for many of us so look around the room there's testimonies of us being brought near by the blood of Christ and by the work of Christ we've been brought near are you a part of the church if not you need to repent and Trust the work that Christ did on the cross as your own. That would be your application today. And another thing I think just for us as a church, we have to constantly ask, do we understand the church? Is is our definition of church biblical? What we're living our lives is that biblical church. By what we understand the Bible to mean church, if we live in that out, is that is that, is that biblical? I think we all constantly have to ask ourselves that question. And then thirdly, are we believers? Are we using our gifts to see the church grow? So this is a challenge. We're just doing this just for a couple of weeks just to kind of remind ourselves what is it that the church does, who is the church, and what is the head of the body asking us to do in regard to being church? Something we have to ask ourselves, I think. Revisit that. Are we a part of the church? Are we doing church rightly? Are we using our gifts so that the church can grow? Something to think about for sure.